Hello, and welcome to another episode of Rotating Reels. This is one of your hosts, Keegan Tran, and I have a very special episode today. Joining me on the call is the curator of a hilarious Instagram page, Denise of Letterboxd Gone Wild. Denise, how's it going? Very excited to have you on the show today. Hi, hi. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah. What's up, guys? <laughs> awesome. So, um, yeah, I just uh, I stumbled on this page a couple days ago. Um, I have a, a nightly routine of just kind of scrolling through Instagram, and because I follow a lot of movie people, uh, a lot of the memes yeah. that flow through from me are movie related found these and I just couldn't stop scrolling through these and I noticed your page is super young I feel like you're you're getting a lot of traction already for you know you've been out for like two three weeks yeah I started like a month ago and uh, I don't know I started as just we'll see how's it how's it going but then yeah it started to take off I'm hopeful yeah we'll see yeah. <laughs> we'll see where it goes I don't really have any goals you know we'll just see how it goes for sure well i noticed like i think this is three or four days ago you'd posted a story that you had just hit a thousand followers and then by the end of yeah. that day you had 1100 followers it seems like every day you're getting like 50 to 100 more it just seems like it's people think this stuff is hilarious for sure um yeah so uh, i i actually well before i started out i wanted to check if i wasn't you know exactly stepping on anyone's toes if anyone else had a kind of a page like this and I realized there was one uh, but it was deactivated so I thought well that's a good time for me to step in yeah, yeah the market's fresh it's all it's the all right fresh. for you yeah. <laughs> exactly yeah yeah so the the letterboxed uh, idea I think even friends of mine that are like consider them self cinephiles they don't have a, a letterbox it's for someone that wants to make one it can be a bit of an onus to like build it, build your backlog of movies. So for people that don't know, yeah. can you explain what the platform of Letterboxd is and then what your Instagram account is and how it sources its its posts? Sure. I mean, Letterboxd, I think they kind of present themselves as social film discovery. So it's basically, everyone probably knows about IMDb, but because it's pretty old at this point, but uh, Letterbox is like IMDb in the terms that you can go on, you can rate movies, you can review it, but Letterbox kind of aims to be more social, so you can answer each other's reviews, you can interact with each other, and you can form lists where other people can see, and it's actually much more of a social media than IMDb, so I think that's where it's most successful. There are people, I mean, I don't think there's any people famous on IMDb, but there are actual commenters that are famous on Letterboxd from, you know, just writing funny or profound reviews. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, my page is basically so uh, in during this quarantine, like everyone, I kind of got addicted to something. My something was the Letterboxd app because I really got into, you know, actually I used to like movies, but now I actually like analyzing them, you know, kind of digging deep. And so I found Letterboxd to actually discover movies uh, of like a year ago, I guess now. Okay. And uh, ever since then, I kind of, like you said, you spend your night on Instagram. I, I start spending my nights on Letterboxd, just going through the thousands of movies and the funny comments. So I actually got mad at myself at one point for... <laughs> say, I mean, what, what am I getting out of this? I mean, this is pointless. So I thought I might as well kind of try to create something out of my countless hours <laughs> of browsing through Letterboxd. 
Yeah. Yeah, no, for sure. I think uh, it definitely is way more successful than IMDb or anything else in like the social aspect. And I think definitely. I, I always like, I try to explain it to people as it's like film Twitter, but it's not terrible. Like yeah. people don't bully each other yeah. on letterbox. Like it's, there's no like toxicity to it at all. Um, yeah. I feel like it's kind of cool. Cause it's like, there's guys like you and I, right. That are just like, we're into watching probably bigger YouTubers that do film analysis, but there's also like definitely. huge, huge journalists, right? Like, or you have like cars, Karsten Runquist or whatever I'm blanking on his name, but yes, he's like a yes, huge exactly. YouTuber, but he'll watch movies and do like a pre like a early review on Letterbox. Like there's this, it feels yeah. like a completely open like exchange of of goofy fun reviews. So yeah, for anyone that doesn't have it, it's it's super super fun. Uh, yeah, so I think uh, what Letterbox excels in it's kind of because of the community, but IMDb IMDb is entirely serious comments, and that's a good thing. I mean, they're all actual analyses mm -hmm. of movies, but Letterboxd, you scroll through half the comments, half are memes, half are <laughs> jokes. There are serious comments, but most of them are kind of, you know, like you said, it is film Twitter in a way. Yeah, and it's super niche too. I think like the, specifically you had talked about like the curated lists, like people will put together two movies in a list that are completely unrelated but they'll find like yes. one actor and one thread that ties them together and it's it's the most niche kind of like film comedy that you could ever find yeah i i saw a list i think i posted this i i'm not exactly sure about uh connecting shrek and get out <laughs> yeah and so yeah it's about a family it's a an outsider who has dinner with his like white family or white partner's <laughs> family. Yeah, it's 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 super funny. I think it was on the page. It is. It is. Yeah. yeah. So how what's like the selection process look like? Uh, if you're on there already, I'm sure you just scroll through stuff and, and grab screenshots. But I've noticed that I feel like you have a fair amount of like uh, continuity with your posts. Like usually there'll be like a theme that keeps the five reviews together, or it's like one movie particularly. How do you source all this and, yeah. and keep it kind of organized for posting? Yeah, I mean, it kind of changes. Sometimes I try to go, you know, the five of the comments, they're all one film. I think I did that about The Shining mm -hmm. one or two weeks back. Or sometimes I try to do a certain, you know, like you said, a theme. Uh, I actually, I mean, the one, I, I put anything on there. I don't really have any, you know, filtering mechanism only. I try to stay away from reviews that, I mean, uh you need to know the movie entirely to understand that review because if i do that it just uh, limits the target audience to the people who've watched that movie mm -hmm. and so i i kind of try to uh, balance it in that the review has an element of well you need to know the plot of this movie or some context but you don't need to have watched it before so uh that's the kind of uh, you know, balance I try to maintain because, well, people that are going to follow me are already going to be a certain level of um, a movie level, a movie lover or a cinephile, you know, so they'll know what these movies are about, but maybe they necessarily haven't watched it yet. So that's the only kind of, you know, filter I put on my reviews. Okay, nice. And uh, I guess like when you had started, um, I think like whenever you start something up, you always want to have like a backlog of content to get started with. Like, how did you, like, did you already have a fair game plan of how long you wanted to do it for, or like how how much content you wanted to have ready? Uh, not exactly. I mean, it started off with kind of you know 
let me just post this, see how it goes. And uh, at, at the beginning, I kind of start, uh, went down to one post a day with multiple reviews on it. Mm -hmm. But when I started up, I kind of, you know, tried to post every few hours. So like you said, I had a backlog, backlog of content for people to discover. Um, but after I kind of posted like 20 or so uh, posts, I actually asked on my story which people liked more. Uh, one post a day with multiple comments on it or multiple posts with only one or two comments on it. And uh, the, the story actually came back 50-50. Uh, so that was kind of funny. Like uh, the people <laughs> didn't really have a preference. <laughs> so that kind of confused me. But then as it went on, I realized the posts that I uh, post once a day with multiple reviews actually got more likes. So I start, I decided to stick with that. And then that's how I, you know, started posting multiple reviews of one film or with a certain theme. And then it just kind of went on from there. Gotcha. And I feel like when, you, when you're starting something off too, it's like you're so excited to do, be doing it that it's like you, yeah. you, you can get carried away with posting like so so frequently. But I mean, if you're, you're sticking to more consistent schedule, I feel like it's easier to to keep that up over the long term. So Yeah, yeah. basically when I started, it was like, uh, did I post enough today? Did I post enough today? And I'd already posted like six. And I was like, <laughs> oh, pe people don't want this much of a letterbox review. So yeah. yeah. Are you, are you finding that most of them are stuff that you have found yourself or that, like, cause I know that you ask for some submissions in your bio. Yeah. Uh, so most for now, at least, I mean, hopefully if I grow a bit more, maybe there'll be more submissions, uh, for now it is mostly me, but, uh, I mean, at least daily I get a few submissions, which I'm really grateful for because it means, you know, people want to interact, people want to see their own, uh, reviews. So I definitely, uh, Right now, the ratio is kind of uh, one of the reviews of the post I, you know, put daily. One of the reviews is mostly a submission, but the rest are me. Gotcha. I shame. I shamefully admit that most <laughs> are found by me. You know. No, no shame in it at all. It means you're a good curator. It means you're finding good stuff on there. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> um, so with that, do you have a couple favorites that you found? I have some that you have posted that are hilarious, but anything that sticks out in your mind? <laughs> Uh, well, a few, I, I actually, uh, have a few written down here and, <laughs> okay. uh, I, yeah, I, some of them are ones I posted. So one is, uh, one is a review on Arrival, uh, you know, you probably know the movie Yeah. and it's, I know all sci-fi films require some suspension of disbelief, but there's no way I'm going to believe that Amy Adams falls in love with Jeremy Renner. <laughs> <laughs> It's a and good I love one. This. Yeah. Yeah. I have nothing against Jeremy, but it's kind of true. I mean, there is a kind of. <laughs> <laughs> it's a huge gap there. Yeah. It is a huge gap there. Yeah. Yeah. I like. I. So... I love too when when there's something like that where it's it's completely like playful in the review or it's like overwhelmingly yeah. negative or positive, but the stars don't correlate at all. Like people will give it. They're <laughs> like, "This is terrible," and I hate this performance. Four stars. Like, and give it a glowing <laughs> yes. review. Yeah. That's pretty funny. I... Uh, one example of the thing you said, uh, there was a review on The Godfather, which was like, oh, it's not as good as Twilight, but it was okay, <laughs> and it's five stars. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, it's hilarious. 
uh, another one I found, uh, I haven't posted this, I might, is uh, from Nightcrawler, you know, starring Jake Gyllenhaal. Mm -hmm. And it says, in loving memory of Jake Gyllenhaal, he ain't dead, but the Academy keep treating him like he is. <laughs> it's <laughs> also, is yeah, it's very, very true. Which is true. I mean, he, he has a well-deserved Oscar. He has to have by now. I mean, yeah. So. Well, I mean, on top of just being a hilarious review, where else are you going to get this premium pre letterboxed <laughs> gone wild content than on our show, right? We're getting <laughs> getting inside baseball already. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Come I, listen to Rotating Reels, guys. Yeah. Wow. What a, what a great advertisement. Um, <laughs> any others uh, that you had that, that jump out at you? Uh, there's one more, and this I posted uh, earlier when I started out. I think this was what was my fourth or fifth post. And I actually got a lot of likes at the time, so I wanted to share it with my most liked uh, post for a while. It's about seven, okay. and it's uh, my favorite unboxing video. <laughs> <laughs> I think that was hilarious. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, there's a show, I don't know if you watch a podcast called uh, Slash Filmcast, but they use uh, that whole, the, the scene where he's opening the box and he's like, what's in the box? Yeah. That whole what's thing. What's in the box? That's, that, that whole audio clip is their spoiler intro before they start talking about spoilers in the movie. So I always, whenever I, I hear that, that quote, I always think about that <laughs> podcast. <laughs> no, it is an iconic scene, but yeah. Uh, a thing about Letterboxd, I think, I mean, there are older people on there, but it's mostly Gen Z and later part of, the millennial generation mm -hmm. so i was for example i was talking with my parents and uh i actually showed them my page and i hey, look what's happening and they uh, read a few of my uh posts and my dad was asking what's an unboxing video <laughs> and how can i start to explain i mean it, you kind of have to know a certain you know pop culture from our generation at least yeah it requires again it's like you have to have this pure venn diagram of your age group and your like online presence yeah. and then that's like hyper specified film you know uh obsession to, to understand a lot of the letterbox yeah. reviews but it is a niche it is yeah uh, if you're if you're in the in crowd though it's it's just crack for like young movie fans it is, it, it is. <laughs> i have a couple here that i i took from yours that i these are the ones that actually I was laying in bed with my partner. She was asleep and she was like, you have to get out. Like you have to go downstairs because <laughs> you're laughing and you're making the bed shake and you woke me up. Go outside. Yeah. Smell some trees. Yeah. It's the first one here. And I literally cried reading this was of Inglorious Bastards. And they gave it a five star review. It said, this movie is full of dilfs. My favorite dilf parade. It's so effing hot. I haven't had sex in a long time. I am so sorry. <laughs> Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. Uh, some, of the, some of those reviews, I think the, the thing I like the most is the most unrelated topics you can talk about a movie. I mean, Inglorious Bastards is nothing about guilt or <laughs> yeah. anything. Yeah, but it's, I think it's... <laughs> Not in the slightest bit. I feel like it checks in a lot to the meta of these movies, right? Because it's, you know, Tarantino obviously knows he's getting together this huge all-star cast. You can't watch the movie... Yeah without divorcing from it the idea of this huge cast of, of A-list stars. So it's like, you know, for a film fan, it's yeah. still a big part of it, even though it's not like part of the text of the movie at all. Yeah, maybe as I go on, I might start, you know, like I said, posting extremely, I mean, you have to have watched this movie to understand it, because 
I mean, like that review is hilarious and it's hilarious for anyone, even if you haven't watched Inglorious Bastards. Yep. Even if you don't know who's playing in it, basically. Yeah. So. I would actually argue, I think it's funnier if you haven't watched the movie because it completely confuses you as to what <laughs> yeah. the point of Inglorious Bastards is. <laughs> yeah, you see the review and it's like, oh, Dilf, I should check this out. And you <laughs> open the movie and what are all these Nazis doing here? Yeah, you're just completely checked out at that point. <laughs> yeah. And I have one other one that's on a very similar uh, a very similar thread, which I didn't even realize the two were connected. But the, I thought yeah. this one was so funny because I'd had the same misconception for a long time, very stupidly. And it's of the 1967 movie The Graduate. And they give it four and a half stars and wrote, watched this entire movie, movie thinking film spelled backwards was MILF. It's <laughs> <laughs> such, a, such a genuine mistake to make. <laughs> it is, it is. But, I mean, if you watch that movie, you'd agree sometimes the backwards of film is MILF. Yeah. That's, it's, it's a crapshoot, right? It's 50-50. Either it the is. movie's MILF and DILF related or <laughs> it's not based on its letterbox review. It's, uh, yeah, it's either MILF or DILF related or it's not good. <laughs> yeah, true. Yeah, so good. That, that's true film analysis. Yeah, there you go. This is, <laughs> it's, a, it's a new quarter of the market. It's all, it's all been yeah. tapped before since this is where we're getting in. Um, so yeah, I mean, you, you must be, like you said, I think you were kind of falling out of watching movies and then you just recently got back into film analysis. Um, do you have, you know, it doesn't have to be one movie, but do you have any number of movies that you look to as being a favorite or things that were influential on you throughout your life? Uh, I mean, first I'd like to answer, you know, influential question. I'll list a few of my favorite movies, uh, in a moment, but I remember, Years ago, uh, I was absolutely obsessed with uh, Life of Pi okay. by uh, Ang Lee, I think. I first watched that when it came out, and then I watched it a few more times. Whenever, whenever I was on a plane, I remember because that movie was one of the movies that you could find on a plane for some reason. <laughs> and I'd always watch Life of Pi, and I just remember being blown away by the visuals, by the cinematography. Uh, because I mean, I think it did actually win an Oscar mm-hmm. for cinematography. I think it was Roger Deakins, um, yeah. Uh, and I mean, you see, while watching the movie, there are some breathtaking scenes. And even as a kid, I remember seeing, uh, looking at it and thinking, "How did they do this? I mean, this is amazing." So that was really influential. I actually forgot I loved that movie and discovered it again recently. So, yeah. Uh, I'd actually like to list a few of my yeah. letterboxed five stars, if you, just one second. Uh, well, one thing I recently watched is Bo Burnham's special, and I actually, f- that was amazing. I mean, uh, I don't know how more intimate I can get with a person, I don't know, but that kind of felt like that. Yeah. Uh, did you watch it? I haven't. That's Inside, right? The newest one? Yeah. I have it, and I, I love all of his other stuff, and I feel like I've heard such good things about... It's just the perfect time capsule of the the pandemic era. Yeah. Not to, I mean, go back to Letterboxd every second, but there was actually a review on, <laughs> in, uh, on Inside's uh, Letterboxd, and it was, great, now I'm depressed and horny. <laughs> and I think that's... 
that's a great that's a great sum of the movie i mean you should watch it yeah i don't actually think it's exclusive to just that special either i think any of bo burnham's work could be basically (laughs) summed up that way yeah it's basically depressing and only yeah Yeah. uh so well one of my favorites is uh i said it uh i mean actually said a review from this movie nightcrawler Mm -hmm. is one of my favorite movies uh i think Without Jake Gyllenhaal, the movie wouldn't have worked, I think. But it uh, it works because he's in it. But it's still the movie that surrounds that character is amazing as well. I think. Yeah. Uh, it was really impressive. Uh, that was. I think it's one of his uh, scariest great. roles. I think this the mirror scene where he's just completely cracking in his apartment yes. is is haunting. I mean, I think uh, he actually. Uh, you know, cut his wrist while, you know, uh, filming that. Yep. And uh, I remember watching that and seeing how well placed can that glass break be? Because, you know, it breaks and you still see uh, Jake walking away from the broken glass. Yep. And it, it just falls perfectly. And I think it's just a well-crafted film in general. Uh, I actually want to say a movie that maybe a lot of cinephiles won't agree as being you know very you know there's this type of movie where it's a great movie but it's not you know a film bro movie or not a cinephile movie it's not like oh wow this is kind of shallow i really love about time have you watched about time is that uh it's with rachel mcadams and that uh donald gleason i think i don't think i have watched that actually well, so it's basically, it the, I mean, the plot is kind of simple. It's um, Donald Gleason is a weird, you know, socially awkward guy. And he can't really, he wants to have a girlfriend, but he can't. And uh, when he turns 18, I think, uh, or 20 or something, his dad tells him, well, by the way, uh, the men in our family can tra- time travel. And <laughs> so it's kind of random. It's a really funny movie, but... I always cry at the end. I, I, I'd recommend that. That's kind of a movie, you know, it's my soft spot in film analysis. Yeah. Basically. Well, I mean, there's, I mean, there's huge names there, right? Like, I mean, even Rachel McAdams and, and Gleason alone is enough to, I feel like, carry, even if the script isn't great yeah. or anything, you know? Well, there's actually Margot Robbie as a side character. Oh, interesting. And then there's Bill Nye, I think. So, yeah, it's a great cast. And I mean, people who've watched uh, that well, I think agree. It's, uh, I mean, it's a tearjerker for sure. Yeah, definitely. I get, also to to go back to one of your earlier movies, similar to that as well. I feel like Nightcrawler is amazing for Gyllenhaal as well. But I think one of the best parts about yeah. that is how it put Riz Ahmed on the the stage that he is definitely. now. Definitely, because I mean, he, a great definitely. supporting role from him as well. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Riz Ahmed, you can just see the how naive he is at first while trying to get a job. And then, I mean, you can just read the horror in his eyes when you see Jake's character going absolutely mental. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's amazing. I mean, speaking of Riz Ahmed, I mean, I don't really want to get into, you know, <laughs> every movie ever. <laughs> sure. But uh, Sound of Metal, I think, was definitely Oscar-worthy, if not... Uh, I mean, at least... He deserved that nomination, for sure. I yeah, think. yeah, and I... I Again, sorry to bring it back to Letterboxd, but one of the reviews I saw for that was, uh, <laughs> so that's what sound design means. Because it's, 
it's, yes. it's something that you, you you see at the Oscars every year and you may not ever understand what it is until you watch like a movie that just excels at it. Yeah, I mean, I wish I'd watched it with headphones. I actually didn't. I watched it with my, uh, I think, my parents. I should watch that again with my headphones because even without headphones, there were scenes where I thought I was going deaf. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it was all amazing, definitely. Yeah. Um, there's actually, well, I'm... This is not exactly a hot take, but I'm actually <laughs> in love with all of Fincher's movies. Yep. So that's a big part of, you know, I, I actually recently rewatched Seven, The Social Network, uh, I think A Fight Club. I mean, again, and it's all, I think he specifically chooses movies that are always, I mean, at least the topic is controversial. A lot of people agree that the movie is amazing, but the topic itself is controversial. Mm -hmm. For example, Gone, Gone Girl, you know, and Fight Club. I mean, whoever you ask what the meaning of the film Fight Club is, they'll, they'll, they'll all give a different answer. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, he's, he's, have you watched a lot of his, his stuff on Netflix for TV, like uh, Mindhunter? And... I, I, I've watched Mindhunter. Yeah. yeah that, that was amazing. Yeah. Definitely. I mean, uh, I mean, the cast there is amazing too, but you can see scenes where, yeah, I mean, there's, there is the impact of Fincher exactly, on, yeah. this, on the production of this, yeah. Because I didn't, I, like, I had no idea that he had directed the first episode and that he was show running, and then you start watching it and you're like, oh my god, wait, is this, like, there's just touch points of Fincher all over it, it's so clear, without exactly, even knowing yeah. before that he was involved, you know? This is, I mean, this is Fincher. Uh, I mean... Uh, another director I've been obsessed with. Uh, I'm not exactly, you know, naming movies because I can go on forever. Sure. I'm kind of trying to generalize it to directors. Is uh, Dennis Villanueva? I don't know how you say his surname. Yep. Uh, Arrival, Dune, ton of stuff. Yeah. yeah. I'm actually stoked for Dune. I really want to watch that. I mean, if there's a way of watching it early, please <laughs> let me know. Yeah. Well, I mean, and, and his, I cannot believe. The daunting task of trying to make a sequel, like a direct sequel to Blade Runner, and just making Definitely. such a, I mean, an amazing movie that expands on the entire lore and is still interesting in its own right. I mean, yeah, the bravery you have to have to actually pull that off. I mean, yeah. even, I, I think he, he's been in love with June since he was a child, mm -hmm. and he actually said... I actually directed two science fiction movies before June so I can get the handle of June. But, I mean, you didn't... I mean, the films you, you know, did to get ready for June are masterpieces in of its own. I mean, Arrival and Blade Runner, they're both, they're both amazing. Yeah, I mean, and especially when you think, like, at the same time, right? Like, I mean, I'm not as hard on these movies as other people are, but you have J.J. Abrams doing Star Wars movies, and it's just night and day the difference between these modern remakes of these sci-fi classics. Yes, yes. I mean, I, mean, I guess uh, Dennis actually, uh, because of Roger Deakins' contribution to a lot of his movies, mm -hmm. I actually think he, he got a lot of out of that as well. Yeah. Because you can just see every movie is beautiful. I mean, even if you don't like the plot or the acting, <laughs> every movie is just beautiful. Yeah. I mean, yeah. even to his early work, right? We were just talking about how Joan Hall is such a great actor. But if you, like, Enemy, like, Prisoner, yes. it's, it's all the way back. It's everything. It, it, I feel like just from such a, like, a young stage in his career, he's just been so masterful. 
I mean, even one of his earliest films, I think this is a, the second or third film, Incendies. Did mm-hmm. you watch that? Uh, I have I it. Mean, oh, I mean, you should. I, there, again, on Letterboxd, there was a review <laughs> that said, I mean, uh, I mean, of course, the movie is about the situation in the Middle East. I think particularly uh, Lebanon or Jordan. I'm not exactly sure. Don't quote me on that. But uh, Dennis masterfully handles the you know complex topic about the whole middle east and there was a review that said it's crazy how a french director from quebec can handle such a complex issue at an early age and yeah so yeah no i I really it's i feel like we could just tangent off this forever but that i again i feel (laughs) like that i feel like we hear that a lot about like chloe zhao now right like how someone who grew up in beijing has such an amazing perspective on what it is to be like an American and tell these super like unique American exactly. stories. So I think it's it's just a great testament to that like outside angle. Yeah, I mean to pull that off, I mean to film something you can't relate to in any way, that's really impressive. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. I mean, yeah, like you said, we can tangent this <laughs> forever. But just to add one thing, a lot of people uh, were talking about Eternals that's coming out mm-hmm. and saying uh, it looks very dull and looks very not you know super heroy, but I, I I'm actually really excited for it. I think it's a different take on a Marvel film that only Chloe could pull off. I think so. Yeah, and we'll I, see how that is. I feel like you know for as, as formulaic as people talk about the Marvel franchise, I think it, it often does its best when it's trying to be so different, right? Yeah. Like you bring in Taika Waititi. And I feel like the entire course oh God, of it changed, yes. right? Like with Thor Ragnarok, the co- every movie thereafter, the comedy gets sharper. Just the general like tone. It's it's. I think these these kind of more auteur directors bring a lot to these movies. I mean, Taika did bring a lot to Ragnarok. It's actually one my favorite Marvel film so far. Yep. And I mean, Love and Thunder is coming out this year or next year. I think. Yeah, I think and it's early next year or something. Very soon. Taika's directing that too, right? Yep. I think they just wrapped production as well. Yeah, I mean, I'm definitely excited for that. So, yeah, because, I mean, with Marvel, uh, you can get too formulaic sometimes. And it's great to see these colorful, you know, daring movies that don't exactly fit the classic Marvel tropes. Yeah, 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 definitely. well, cool. I I feel like this this even on the main show, this always happens. Where if we're talking about a bad movie or something, we can just keep riffing on stuff that we do like in in other movies. But um, do you have any other favorite movies to share, or do you want? I can go for a few more. Yeah, yeah sure. sure. We'll take them. Uh, so let me just my abs my absolute favorite for a while. It still is one of my favorites. Was uh, There Will Be Blood by Paul Thomas Anderson. Yep. Yeah, I think I'm really attracted to amazing uh you know uh, performances because again this is can't work without daniel day lewis it can't work without paul dano but uh there's something about it i mean <laughs> again i saw a review <laughs> on letterbox so, sorry if this is getting re- repetitive but i mean uh i saw a review that said i mean this i mean there cannot be a movie more i mean stripped bare and you know concise about american capitalism and stuff like that you know yeah. because i mean sometimes the metaphors are very there in your face they aren't exactly subtle i mean it's an oil man his rig burns down 
it's it's basically kind of all there but it's because of Paul Thomas Anderson's directing that you kind of see yourself in that world and kind of you know it feels like Daniel Day-Lewis is yelling at you and he yells at Paul Dano at the end. Yeah. No, and I mean, like, even if the... It, it's similar, right, to you talked about, like, Fincher and Gone Girl. Like, even if the base elements are super simplistic, like this, this story of a missing woman or, like, a, an early American oil magnate, I think, yeah. you know, having the skill behind the camera to, to elevate it up is, is what makes for a really great watching experience. Yeah, basically, because, I mean, in, like, you know, The Master, another great film by Paul Thomas Anderson. I mean, if you strip it down and you look at the plot, it's basically a man wanting to be free and another man wanting the other man not to be free. I mean, it's yeah. that basic, but then you put all this characterization on it, the beautiful directing and I think writing by Paul Thomas Anderson. Mm-hmm. And this is what comes out. I mean, extremely complex. Yeah. Again, can I just say one more review? <laughs> Absolutely. One more review. Uh, I mean, because this really stuck with me is, uh, what was the main character? Uh, Joaquin. Uh, Phil- no, Philip Seymour Hoffman's oh, yep. character's name, I think. I don't exactly remember his name, but it basically said, uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman's character is Tyler Durden for smart people. And... <laughs> Again, that's such film uh, yeah. nerd language, right? That's only only yeah. something that like after hours of watching these movies would would yeah. Line you need up for to you. know like three different things to understand, and then it's hilarious. Yeah. Yeah, I I have a weird relationship with the master. I had there's a, a really great YouTuber called Nerd Writer One who did this amazing analysis yes. about the that video essays. Yeah, great great video essays, and he had one on the master yeah. and those crazy interrogation scenes. Um, so I was like, this is awesome. I can't wait to check this movie out. So I, I tried to watch it on a flight one time. And I think in the first five minutes, Joaquin Phoenix is furiously masturbating on the beach. And I, I get really <laughs> yeah. self-conscious when I watch things. So I've, I never, I, I turned it off because I was just so self-conscious. So maybe I'll pick it up at yeah. home when I can, in the privacy of my own house at some point. Yeah, that happens to me sometimes. I mean, the master, uh, like I said, I think, I mean, there's two different opinions I have of the master. One opinion is it is a wonderfully crafted movie. And the other is sometimes it kind of took too long in some scenes. It took itself too seriously. And, you know, so, yeah. Yeah. I actually, it's not one of my favorite Paul Thomas Anderson movies, but I can understand that it is amazingly crafted and the characters, I mean, you can't, you can't easily find a character more, you know, well designed than Joaquin's character there, mm-hmm. basically. So, any other favorites? <laughs> I'll I'll sure. take as much as I can get. Uh, well, I mean, another classic. I mean, there's a reason these are so popular. So that's why I love them <laughs> too. But uh, Twelve Angry Men is again one of my favorites. I mean. To, to have written that and directed that in, what, the 50s, 57 yeah. or something like that. And I don't know, I just keep going back to it like, uh, I mean, I can't get, well, if you look at the plot, it's uh, 12 men yell at each other, basically. And I don't know, there's just so many nuances and the way that they all kind of turn their back on each other at first 
but then kind of get together. I don't know. It's it's really compelling. I'm a smarter person than me would say yes because you know the camera angle in those scenes and stuff like that uh, kind of impact the way we see things. But yeah, it just the scenarios and the screenwriting itself, without going into all those angles and such, even on its own, that's an amazing movie. Yeah. I think. Yeah, no, absolutely. I'm, I have to say, I, I love the original. I'm a little nervous with uh, Amazon's acquisition of MGM. And now that they own that, um, I know that Amazon's oh. like really desperate to get a lot of stuff out with the IPs that they just bought. So I, uh, I'm a little nervous about any new 12 so Angry you're, Men. You're, yeah, you're telling me 12 Angry Women is on the way <laughs> Or 13 Angry Men. Or <laughs> 13 Angry <laughs> <Yeah>. Men. <laughs> some, some awful new iteration of it is probably on the way. There was... The, there was this review. I'm unapologetic at this point. I'm just going to keep making sure. reviews on Letterboxd. Uh, all on 12 Angry Men. I think this was one of my first or second posts. Uh, I can't wait for David Fincher to make a remake of 12 Angry Men with just 12 Batflex yelling at each other. <laughs> and this yeah. is just so random. Again, you need to know like five different movies to know what they're talking about. But yeah, that was, that was incredibly funny. Yeah. Man, Fincher, if, if anyone alive today was going to make a new, right, if they had to tap into any director, it would have to be Fincher. Basically, yeah. Yeah. Basically, I could I, I trust him on that. Yeah. Um, did you watch Mank? Uh, I didn't, no. So film? I had actually just watched um, Citizen Kane for the first time this year for a review on our podcast. Yeah. Um, and I we were going to do a double feature with Mank, but then seeing the runtime on both of them, it was <laughs> it was a pretty long one. But I've, I've heard amazing things. I actually really like Amanda Seyfried. Um, so it was, it was cool that she got that that supporting. But what, did you enjoy it? Uh, I'm actually, uh, I actually differ from the general opinion. A lot of people say, yeah, it's not one of Fincher's best films. Uh, it was kind of long. It was kind of, I mean, the plot didn't really catch a lot of people. But I don't know. I think uh, there was something I really love. You know, real stories. Because mm-hmm. you can always see, uh, you can never say, wow, this is unrealistic or this wouldn't happen because it did happen. So I kind of love those movies because there's not an element of, wait, is this realistic? Yeah. Could this happen? It did happen, so you can enjoy the rest. And I liked it, but I can agree it's not one of Fincher's best works, sure. definitely. Yeah. I mean, even just to go back on something I was just saying about Amazon, I feel like, you know, with some of these these huge streaming services giving, you know, having first look deals or having multi-year contracts with some of these directors, like yeah. on one hand, it seems like maybe they're tapping them in and like kind of keeping other work away from, you know, keeping them from doing projects that they might be more interested in. But I feel like Netflix Definitely. does a good job of, you know, we're just talking about Fincher and Mindhunter and, you know, giving... Um, him the place to make Mank, right? Like, I think there is definitely a room for auteurs to explore things that they have a lot of personal interest in, right? Or, like, even The Irishman was yeah. Scorsese, right? Like, I think some of yeah. these some of these sites do, or these services do a really good job of just kind of giving them free reign and giving them a budget. Yeah, I think, yeah, Netflix is kind of, it goes both ways with Netflix because that, if you, one perspective is there is a lot of crap on there. Yeah. And, it is kind of, you can't go into Netflix without knowing what you're going to watch because you can't find anything worth watching. Yeah. Uh, you have to know beforehand because there's so many, I mean, kind of useless 
movies on there that they just kind of churn out to make money. Yeah. But on the other hand, like you said, they allow Scorsese to make The Irishman. Uh, they allowed Fincher to make Mank. And yeah, it's kind of Netflix goes both ways. Uh, I think I actually have Netflix and not the other uh, streaming platforms. But I think the most successful streaming platform is definitely HBO. Yeah. Because it's quality over quantity over there. I mean, every series they kind of produce is I mean, amazing on another level for sure. Yeah. I mean, if you just, bro, if you had a baseline average, right, I think HBO's is just quality content wise, it's just above yeah completely everyone else of course yeah yeah uh i can name one or two more yeah <laughs> absolutely films because i'm just uh looking through here and uh so let me just okay i found i was kind of going you know fincher tarantino that's uh another film i think you guys reviewed the killing of a sacred deer right yep so not that, but The Lobster is also one of my favorite films. It's just, there's this thing about Lanfimos' work. It's just, you see <laughs> and you say, what is wrong with this man? I mean, if he can direct stuff like this, what is wrong with him? But yeah, the, the end product is something else, even the favorites. And so, yeah, Lobster kind of really, really caught my attention. I think it was hilarious, actually. Lobster. Yeah, very very dryly funny. Very dryly funny. There's a scene where Colin Farrell kind of kicks. A, uh, did you see that? Uh, the, I don't exactly remember but Colin Farrell kind of. Uh, he's trying to uh, date a, a woman which has no emotions whatsoever. She's a sociopath. So Colin Farrell tries to act like a sociopath and kicks a child. I think. Yeah. And that that it was hilarious. I don't know. Am I a bad person for saying that's funny? I mean, that, that was hilarious. Yeah, no, I I don't love Lanthimos' work as much as other people, but I think sure. The Lobster is, of his movies that I've seen, probably the most successful, in my opinion, of having that blend of very, like, you know, otherworldly dialogue, but still yeah. managing to make it, like, entertaining in, in, like, a dry, fun way. Yeah, so, yeah, uh, i well, the base, basically, you can sum up Yorgos's work with... I mean, there's something wrong with the world he's making these movies in. Mm-hmm. Uh, the same thing goes with the Cohen brothers, basically, if you think about it. Every, there's this element of their world that is different from our world. Mm-hmm. So, you, yeah, I can see why people don't love Lanthimos. I'm not the biggest fan of all of his work i just really love the lobster and kind of you know have conflicting thoughts about the other one sure i i think something the coen brothers do really well is they they have this kind of like zany warmth in a, in a way that lanthimos doesn't so i'm thinking like you know yes. the big lebowski i think like even though it is otherworldly and weird and it's very the world is not the same as the world that we live in i think there's this this lightheartedness and kind of like warmth even behind sure. in the camera shots that like is completely gone in a, in the Lanthimos movie, right? Like it's just, it's it's a bleak world that that those characters are living in over there. Uh yeah, I mean, speaking of the Coen Brothers, uh, there are some movies of the Coen Brothers where I'm like, this, uh, it wasn't my kind of weird. You know, all of mm-hmm. their films are weird, and I love that about them. But some are not my kind of weird. 
Inside Lewin Davis, I think, was an amazing movie. That's, that was my kind of weird at the end. Spoiler alert. Can I say spoilers on yeah, the podcast? Yeah, feel free. And exactly. So spoiler alert, skip 15 seconds ahead. But when, when you come to the end and you realize it's all a loop, I think that was, that was a great take on how he always, you know, makes the wrong choices and ends up in the same place. I just love that kind of thing, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Also, again, a great performance there of, uh, I almost called him his Star Wars name. Uh, Oscar Isaac, <laughs> uh, yeah, Oscar Isaac. great, great performance. Oscar there. Isaac is amazing. He's in June two actually. I think. Yep. I can't wait to see that. Too. I I uh, I remember I saw this interview with him a, a couple weeks ago, and he was someone was asking if he'd ever do another Star Wars movie, and he was joking about like how he wants to get back to those like Inside Llewellyn Davis movies that are more like passion projects and, and more personally interesting to him. Sure. So he was like, maybe I'd do another Star Wars movie if I needed a site a, a new beach house. Um, basically like I think the process for him is just exhausting but then it's funny because it turns out he's making a Marvel series right now so yes I saw that today and people were saying yeah well what about you know wanting to make passion projects what about you know joining Marvel yeah uh, yeah it is kind of two-faced but I'll allow Oscar Isaac to do sure. anything I love the guy yeah he can do anything he wants <laughs> but hey I mean right Even- like if if he's gonna move in the Chloe Zhao direction and take Marvel in a different direction maybe you know maybe it's a net positive why not yeah sure uh, even in Ex Machina I think Oscar Isaac's best performance probably yeah that I mean yeah the very weird to see that was the first place I saw him and so I was like this is a weird kind of creepy looking dude because he's, he's bald and he has the <laughs> thick beard and then i was like this yeah. is actually a beautiful man in every other movie <laughs> he's like a very yeah. good looking guy otherwise <laughs> he is he is definitely he is i mean the aforementioned dilf there you go <laughs> oscar isaac there you go guys yeah uh, perfect uh can i ask you a question actually sure. while sure, we're sure. on the when we talked about ex machina came to mind what are your thoughts on a24 movies in general yeah uh, so generally and this is this has been uh, kind of hotly contested on the podcast so one of one of the guys that i do the show with is really into horror so because of that yeah gay 24 is probably one of the best curators of or like distributors of, of modern horror in a lot of people's minds sure. um so he's a huge fan so we we get into it a lot because i think i am happy the studios like a24 and neon are are their selection process seems to be very non-financially motivated in a way that I think a lot of other distribution studios are. Um, But I don't... I think because they swing for the fences so often with these very out-there movies, a lot of times I don't always love it. But in a way, like, I'm very happy that they exist. Like, and and I'm never unhappy with a movie that I watch from A24. But something like... uh, I think this is probably my hottest take I have is I walked out of the theaters for Uncut Gems. I really did not like that movie it's just it's very loud it's very abrasive and it's it's fun to see sandler in that kind of role but it's yeah it's it's just very much was not to my taste um but i would say there's some really great stuff even in there even in that kind of more like pretentious realm right like i think i loved the witch uh, which is seems almost hypocritical when you hear of the other horror movies that i didn't like from a24 so i would say their presence is is very welcome to me but it's it's super hit and miss in my book yeah i'd agree it is pretty hit or miss but i think that's the point of a24 i don't know how they're financed so my full respect to them Mm -hmm. because 
I mean, they, I think they aim to be hit or miss. The only films they kind of finance are weird films, films that mainstream studios wouldn't make. Yeah. I mean, you can't find one studio or even streaming platform that would finance The Lighthouse, for example. I don't think you could. Yeah. I mean, you couldn't. And, uh, well, yeah, for me, like I said, it is hit or miss pretty much. Uh, but... I think they've created some wonderful gems of modern cinema. And I, the Florida Project, I love. Yeah. Uh, the, the Lighthouse, I think I loved. I was confused, but I loved. <laughs> um, yeah. No, and I think like we're you know we're talking about streaming services before and and like consolidation of of the industry. I think having this kind of like small underdog that even in its own right is fairly well known at this point. Um, that picks yeah. movies that are so untraditional than the rest is awesome, right? Like, you see the trailer for Green Knight, and it's just, this is this is so unique to something that they would yeah. pick up, you know? Yeah. Definitely, definitely. I mean, I think they are... I don't like using the term art house because it seems pretentious. Sure. But, I mean, they are, I think, the modern kind of monolith uh, of art house movies. Yeah. I mean, at least for now. Yeah. I, I think for personal taste, I, I think I really like Neon. I think like whatever choices they made to, to get U.S. distribution for Parasite <laughs> was just the best decision they ever could have made for themselves. The best, uh, yeah, sure. yeah, and I, they, they, I think Neon is kind of aiming themselves to be like the, the international version of A24 where they you know, have these very pointed movies, but they're usually not from a U.S. perspective. So sure. I think yeah. that's probably where my, my interests are a little bit more. Uh, could you actually name a few movies from Neon? Um, I don't, uh, I think, I mean, I've heard of them, but I'm not exactly sure what they're behind. So the big two that they always like to tout, and it was the same year, I think they were running them for awards the same year, so Parasite and The Portrait of a Lady on Fire. Um, wow, that, okay, yeah. And then the newest movie that they have been running trailers for is, an, it's like a very Parasite-like critique of, uh, Mexican society. It's called New Order. Uh, you might have seen the trailer with all okay. the green paint. Um, yeah, I think I have. Yeah. They also did Gunda, which got a lot of um, talk this year. What else? Yeah, it looks like they made the Billie Eilish documentary. So it looks like quite <laughs> quite a range. That's a random. Oh, I Tanya, Ingrid Goes West. So. Maybe not. I guess. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Memories of Murder. They picked up for so another Bong Joon Ho movie. So yeah, it seems like very, very similar take to A twenty four, but I guess I just oh, trust yeah. their selection a little bit more. <laughs> yeah, like you said, A twenty four. I mean, some movies are, uh, and even yeah. then, some movies are. Yeah. Okay. This is a masterpiece. But I I would say like even those movies that that don't speak to me too much, and I like. I think I like The Lobster the least of my co-hosts on the show. Like, it, it's still at least something that you are interested to have, like, expanded yourself to see. Sure. Uh, and I think, like, movies at their worst are just boring and uninspired. And we're talking about Marvel, right? Like, the worst Marvel could be is just, like, boring or forgettable. I think in a lot of ways, like, yeah. Falcon and the Winter Soldier showed that they're, they're still capable of making boring stuff. Like, it's a somewhat <laughs> interesting spy thriller, but it's it's this is the formula, man. And so... Those, eight, is, yeah. those A24 movies, are they're never really confined to those formulas, even if they're not something I love or will watch again. 
Yeah, I mean, you can say all you want. You can say I hate it. You can say I love it, but you can't say they're generic. Yeah. Basically. Yeah. So from that, I think that's the point of the studio. And in that that way, I think they're like hugely successful, right? So do you have any more favorites? And if not, sure. Okay. Sure. I mean, no. I mean, I don't want to overdo my welcome, but I mean, if we're here, I'd like I can talk about a few more. Yeah. Why don't we Why don't we do one more? And then I also wanted to to ask you about your least favorites, if you if you had any of those as well. So let's okay, do. Sure. Let's end on favorites on a good one. Okay. Uh, okay. I, I'm just. Uh, oh, there's too many here. Okay, <laughs> I have to pick one. Just wait. Uh, uh, Okay, I really loved uh, Children of Men okay. by Alfonso Cuaron. Yeah, so I think there's a lot of sci-fi movies that take sci-fi a bit too far. I mean, you know, the sci- the fiction element goes too far, you know. Mm-hmm. I think Blade Runner is a good example of what's not that, you know, it's kind of grounded in its science fiction. It's You can't, you can't, you can't say any science fiction is realistic, but it's the nearest you can get to that and i felt children of men was a scenario and a world that could happen yeah and i think that's why it's amazing and clive owen is amazing in that movie anyway and uh, i don't know there's this scene it's the most well-known scene of the movie anyway but you know did you, if you watched it uh the baby starts crying all the you know gunfire stops and he walks down the stairs and yeah i think it was beautiful it really was yeah and alfonso Cuaron really did a great work i mean in that movie i think he has a good understanding and i think he made a great comparison with blade runner that like i think sci-fi is at its best when uh your suspension of disbelief is just as minimal as possible like like it's, jeremy renner and him yeah <laughs> yeah that's it's too much right i'll believe the circle too aliens much. But, you know, yeah. that, that relationship is insane. But something like, you know, Children of Men and then he, has, he did Gravity, right? Like, I think there's this very grounded understanding yeah. of science fiction um, that he it just really excels at. Yeah, basically. Yeah. So, uh, should I go over my uh, least favorite? Uh, yeah, I'd love to hear him. So, this is my first one. I think I don't know if I should say this, so I might be <laughs> crucified. So... Uh, but this is my hottest take. You said your hottest take, my hottest take. We mentioned it before. The Big Lebowski, I think it's overrated. Okay. Uh, so please don't kick me off the <laughs> podcast. But, so here's my hot take. Maybe the comedy didn't translate. I mean, I'm used to a lot of American humor, mm-hmm. even though I don't live in America because of all of Hollywood. And, you know, I grew up with that kind of stuff. But I don't know. There was something about The Big Lebowski maybe that... I had to have an American upbringing or maybe that sort of sense of humor because, again, I understand that it's an incredibly well-made movie. I mean, I can't deny that, yeah. but it felt annoying to me at some times. Sure. Uh, I, I think it's also, like, it's so it's it's so hard to, like, watch that movie without a modern understanding of it. I think, like, even for people, like, our parents' age, like, that was, like, the OG film memes for them, right? Like, those, <laughs> those the lines from that movie are just, like, so pervasive in pop culture that I think, like, yeah. you have this expectation of it going in that's just, it's a fun movie, right? It's it's a fun, lighthearted Coen Brothers movie, but it's it's not up there with the level of, of the, the lasting impact it's had. Yeah, maybe that's why... Uh... Yeah, maybe because 
of course, before watching it, I think I first watched it last year. Before watching it, of course, I saw all the that's the dude, man. That's yep. just your uh, opinion, man, and stuff like yep. that. And I, I agree, those are iconic lines, but yeah, maybe I should rewatch it in a year or so because I kind of got used to the Coen Brothers style of, uh, for example, at the end of the movie, you know, the cowboy man sitting at the bar turns and you realize he's god or mm -hmm. something like that yeah uh, and yeah i'm kind of getting used to that style so maybe i'll find it funnier or better in the future yeah so uh another of my least favorites i'm kind of trying to stay away from you know movies that everyone agrees are bad yeah so only hot only hot takes on this podcast yeah so. if it's 2021 and you're piling in on twilight it's it's a little past yeah, it's you. It's not funny anymore. Yeah. It's not funny. Yeah, for example, you know, there's this movie called Valentine's Day, and it's absolutely horrendous. <laughs> but it, there's no point talking about it. You know, it's. I think it's a ripoff of Love Actually, and gotcha. the American version of that. So, that movies like that, yeah, it's bad. So, I mean, there's nothing new to bring to the table about it. Yeah. Uh, I'm just. Uh, Looking through another, I actually don't have a lot of low-rated movies on Letterbox because I kind of hand-picked them based on the reviews and you know. Sure. Uh, one I actually didn't like at all. Another hot take. Prepare yourselves. <laughs> is uh, Doctor Strange Love and. Interesting. Yeah, that's a hot take, isn't it? That's everyone, yeah. That's that's. Everyone, it's so funny, right? Because I think, like, I, I feel like people really hold that up there with 12 Angry Men. It's it's so surprising that you had kind of opposite ends. Yeah, so Doctor Strange Love, I think maybe if I knew more, you know, lore about those times, maybe again. When I don't like a movie, I usually try to find the fault in myself because, you know, if everyone liked it, there must be something to it at least. Mm -hmm. Um but yeah, strange Doctor Strange of me wasn't for me. Again, the humor didn't translate. Uh, the crazy guy in the war room, yeah, uh, that didn't. I didn't really didn't like that much. I really liked the uh, don't what's it, you know that famous line, don't do war in the war room or mm -hmm. something like that. Yeah, I really I really liked that. But yeah, in general, that's one of my hot takes. Yeah, uh, that is a very hot take. I would say. Yeah, I I haven't yeah. watched this movie in years, but. It's it has such a reputation, so so interesting exactly. to hear someone that doesn't doesn't like it too much. And there are some movies where I even if I didn't understand it, or I didn't you know maybe like it that much at first, I refuse to call it overrated or bad. One of them is, I don't think this is a hot take, but a kind of mild take is, uh, uh, a space odyssey. I, okay. I'm not saying I don't. I'm not saying I don't like that movie. Uh, I actually, while watching, I liked it, and I think it is sort of revolutionary at its time and the kind of ambiguity of it. I think it really matters when you watch the movie as well, because when I watched that movie, I was at the start of my you know rise to being a cinephile, <laughs> you know, and I thought, wow, this is a movie. I like space. I should watch this. Mm -hmm. And maybe I should have prepared myself with a few other movies before 
trying to tackle this, you know. So yeah. It's, if I watch it again, I'll probably love it. But I think I it's a know. movie that requires a lot of work while you're watching it. Like, I think just mentally, it's it's not a, a you know, a relaxing or comforting movie in any way. I think it's not, and not that every movie has to be, but it's it's yeah, it's it can be a challenging movie at times. <laughs> yes. Uh, even I think there's merit in the fact that there's a lot of long takes. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you want to analyze again the you know the direction itself, I mean, Kubrick is infamous with how he meticulously crafts every frame. Anyway, so it is a beautiful movie. I just think maybe if they cut some scenes, I mean. I, I'm 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 a fan of long movies. I don't see anything wrong with them, but that kind of felt like the wrong kind of long, if you know what yeah, I mean. Yeah, I agree. <clears throat> I mean, and I think like also, I had a super similar experience when I was watching it the first time too. Of like, I knew this was going to be a movie. I knew Hal. I knew the the big circular spaceship. I'm like, why oh, yeah. am I watching monkeys for twenty minutes? This is. <laughs> yes, I feel like I got the exactly. wrong download. You know. <laughs> exactly, and. Uh, well, yeah, that's an example of a film where I understand this is an amazing movie and I know this is a masterpiece. It's just, well, we didn't need to see monkeys for 20 minutes. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. How essential is that, really? Uh, do you have another hot take? Do I have that another hot take? Oh, man. I <clears throat> I think people... I, I brought this up earlier. I think people are really overly critical of the Twilight movies. I think they're... <laughs> is far worse schlock to come out of that era of like 2000s YA adaptations. Yeah. I'm thinking like Divergent, like there's some really, really bad uninspired schlock in there. Um, and I think there's. I mean, even the. Sorry, even the Grey trilogy is an example because that was actually Twilight fan fiction at first, wasn't it? Yep. Yeah. It uh, was. Fifty Shades of Grey. Yeah. So. Yeah, so crazy to think that. But I, I think there's actually... And I have a bit of a soft spot because I was like the perfect age for these where I like didn't want to admit that I liked them, but they were so <laughs> schlocky and fun. But, you know, I mean like you know, Robert Pattinson, Kristen Stewart, you have these huge indie stars now. Like they made all their yeah. money off these and now they get to pursue these passion projects. Like it is fun to yeah. see these movies they got their start in. And I think like it just really hits a soft spot for me personally where I, I love those movies. They're kind of guilty pleasures. And I think... People are there. I think they're just notable, and I think that's the only thing that makes people hate them so much. When the reality is, there's so much worse in the the vampire genre. I mean, I think there's a genre of not movies, but just stuff in pop culture that people like to hate, and yeah. it's easy to hate. And I don't really want to get into you know the psychological meaning behind all this. Is mostly rooted to thinking what you know teenage girl it's basically the idea that things that teenage girls like are bad and we should hate it mm-hmm. so that's the same with twilight it's the same with uh justin bieber yep. i mean i don't like his music but why are we hating him that much yeah i mean uh and another hot take the beatles when they first started they were they were basically a boy band and only teenage girls loved them. Mm-hmm. Not their time. Th- that was the same. Elvis they, too. Oh, wow, I mean... this is. Yeah, Elvis too. I mean, uh, like for example, my mom is the biggest Elvis fan. She visited like her grave. Really. <laughs> when uh, his his grave when she visited Memphis, yeah. So, I mean, those are all examples of things people hate because teenage girls love them. 
another example of get ready guys another one <laughs> uh, hot take incoming bts i don't like their music i really don't mm -hmm. but why is everyone hating them that much i mean yeah if you look at it they're extremely successful and they actually represent south korea i mean almost yeah yeah i and i, I think there's it, it's so interesting that there's like you said that culture of disregarding things that teenage girls like when in reality right like i think a huge part of the pop culture market is dictated by teenage girls like there's inter there's interviews by eli roth where he was like you know he talks about his philosophy of making horror movies and he used to make horror movies that like would gross out you know big tough mm. guys and then he would go to screeners and he'd see his movies and he's the only people that watch my movies are these 17 year old girls and they go together to scare the shit out of themselves right like it, yeah. it's, it's so interesting that that kind of misconception exists when i i, I it's Again, even if it's, if it's not to your taste, it's not inherently worse for any reason just because it appeals to a certain market. Yeah, I mean, even... I, I think everyone could accept that even if you don't like the movies, Twilight is iconic. Yeah. I mean, we don't talk about any other film from that period as much as we do Twilight. Mm -hmm. I mean, even now, I mean, even in this podcast, even in the Rotating Wheels yeah. podcast, we are talking about Twilight when this started off as just a letterbox yeah. you know, a conversation. So, uh, yeah, it is, it is pretty iconic. Yeah. And I, I actually haven't watched them in a while. I should watch them again. I mean, it is a guilty pleasure for sure. Yeah. No, and again, it, you know, it's, it's in no way revolutionary, but uh, I think they are really fun in their own merits. <laughs> yeah, I mean, movies don't have to all be revolutionary, you know. It's just, when you look at it, Twilight is the perfect fit into that, you know, teenage girl lover movies narrative. Mm -hmm. And it's just a perfect movie for that. And I think there's merit in saying that as well. I mean, it is a special movie in that regard. Yeah. Yeah. So throw some letterbox reviews up when you watch them because I'm, I'm excited <laughs> to hear your, your new, new takes on those. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely. Uh, like I said, I don't really have that much hated movies sure as maybe if i keep on watching them i'm currently at of uh, 300 400 movies on letterbox okay and maybe if i get more i'll start to you know criticize movies more but right now i'm like okay i didn't like this part of it but there are certainly some good parts in the middle you know yeah i'm at very that um... level of a very nuanced yeah. take that's it's kind of refreshing <laughs> a very a very <laughs> shade of gray kind of approach i mean definitely no movie is perfect i think sure except except a few <laughs> we could maybe except a few dilf central that's and yeah dilf, dilf central. <laughs> if it has dilf and mills yeah <laughs> a, a tier a tier yeah definitely so any other hot takes you had before wrapping it up or could be good or this bad this is kind of a uh, this is a niche hot take, I think. Um, I, it's not exactly hot, but okay. Um, you probably did you watch Apocalypse Now? I haven't actually. Okay, so there's basically the extended version that you know Francis Ford Coppola kind of, I think, re. Uh, he re put into, uh, cinema, which in like. 
many years after the original. Okay. And when I tried to go download that movie, it downloaded the extended cut, which is three and a half hours. Jeez. And, and so, I mean, the normal movie is two and a half hours, the real movie, the original. And I watched that and I was like, uh, oh, this is too long. And I think it ruins a really amazing movie for me because I started out, of course, I mean, everyone knows the iconic scene, the ride of the Valkyries, the helicopters are coming in, they're dropping bombs. Mm-hmm. And I was mesmerized. But then I realized in the middle that it started to become boring. And uh, so, yeah, I yeah. blame wherever I downloaded that from for ruining apoc- <laughs> Apocalypse Now for me. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> basically, an extra hour of footage is, is like, it's nothing small, right? I mean, that's a huge, it's in a, a two and a half hour movie, right? There's There's a lot. And, you know... Uh, yeah, I can I can definitely see how that would change your opinion. Yeah, basically. Yeah. Uh, can I ask you a question? Sure. Quickly, sure, if sure. we have time. Uh, I see a lot of, again on Letterboxd, I see a lot of people watching movies with commentary from the directors and stuff and saying, "Wow, this really helped me." I never really got into that kind of film watching. I was wondering what your take is on you know, commentary and, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, so commentary is something that I used to watch a lot more. And I think this is it's kind of depressing because it's, I feel like it was such a product of physical media at the time. Um, yeah. And I like talking to, on the show, like, I, I really liked special features when I was growing up because be it like at Blockbuster Rental or we just bought a lot of DVDs when I was a kid. But it was always really funny. You'd watch the movie and then you'd go through and watch like deleted scenes or there'd always be like director sure. commenta- commentary. Um, so when I was younger, I feel like that was a big part of me like re-experiencing movies. And it's probably why I like movies so much now. Um, but in the streaming age, that's not really a thing as much. I think the only big streaming service that I know of that like prominently puts their commentary tracks up is Disney plus. Um, so I've, I've like yeah. rewatched infinity war with the Russo brothers talking over it. And, um, I actually really like it. I think it's, it's gotta be something that you're already like really interested in learning more about. Like if it's a movie that you're even just like kind of warm towards, I think it does nothing to it. It's not going to save the movie for you usually. Um, but I know that like a lot of people will go out and seek interviews, like they'll do like late night interviews and they'll watch those. And I feel like yeah. it's a very similar thing, right? Like usually they're going to be talking about aspects of you know, the filmmaking process that you could usually just get from watching them live, watch their their work back. So I I would say my consumption of it is down a lot, but I usually really enjoy it. Um, yeah okay like notably i my dad was a big ridley scott fan so we used to watch like alien and blade runner again with those uh that's sick so yeah i think like i probably watched very high tier commentary tracks but um no i think i think they're really really fun yeah for example i think it, it can really yeah it's really insightful in a way because i mean i haven't done much watching with commentary but again there was this review uh, that was talking about Fight Club and watching Fight Club with Fincher, Brad Pitt and Edward Nort- Norton's commentary. And well, I mean, because one of the most divisive films of all time, but then you see what they were meaning to do. Mm-hmm. And well, basically, uh, I mean, you, if you watch that commentary, uh, it's based, uh, I mean, Edward Norton actually kind of shits on half the lovers of fight club and saying they love it they love it for the wrong reasons and stuff like that yeah i mean and that's that's a big hot take that we really don't have time <laughs> for that that's a whole 
you know essay but yeah and stuff like that and how actually edward and brad kind of tried to make it more sexual because there's a lot of you know gay undertones there mm -hmm. and stuff like that <clears throat> i know yeah it can be really insightful and i think it gets it gets them in a good like comfortable space too i mean obviously we're in a pandemic now but before when these were recorded usually it's it's a pretty intimate recording right like it's usually a couple actors or like a dp or the director like no more than like yeah. two or three people they're usually sitting on a couch watching it so it feels a lot more like organic to their working relationship than like the usual like pre-planned questions that you're going to get on a late night talk show um yeah. so i feel like in that way like you said right like no way that edward norton would go on you know jay leno and be like hey you know half these dipshits have no idea what they're watching right <laughs> <laughs> definitely yeah yeah exactly it's yeah it's much more comfortable and much they can say what they think yeah rather than trying to kind of, because if you've bought the commentary you're already interested in the movie the actors and the director don't have to advertise it anymore they can just say what they think about certain scenes yeah yeah, yeah. no definitely cool well I know we've gone a little bit long. Um, is there anything else, any other movies or any other letterbox reviews you want to throw in before we start wrapping things up? Uh, I mean, I can just check. I think I've covered my favorite okay. reviews on my films and stuff. Uh, okay, I mean, I, I know I'm getting addicted at this point, <laughs> but can I just say one, one, my, one of my favorite movies? Yeah. One more. Okay, so I'm just going <laughs> to... I know. I just, I just like talking about these things a lot. So I'm sure you do too. If you have a podcast about it, of yeah, course. exactly. Uh, well, one of my recent favorites, actually, we shit on Marvel and kind <laughs> of, and sh in turn, kind of shit on Disney by saying, sometimes, sometimes they really manage and they got that formula. Sometimes it really works. Yeah, I fell in love with Coco. Yep. If you watched that, I don't know. Coco, I bawled my eyes out several times throughout the movie. That was, that was special. It really was. Yeah, Coco is... Um, I don't think I've like as heavily cried in a movie as the ending of Definitely. Coco. Yeah. I, <laughs> this is completely unrelated to the movie itself, but I have two watching experiences with Coco. The first is... Yeah. In theaters with my girlfriend, just sobbing my eyes out, and there's children everywhere. <laughs> like, it's just... We were like 20, and then there was just kids. So it was like a really weird scene. And then... The second time is they showed it. We both went to school in Oregon, and the the school we yeah. went to, they had they brought a big projector out one night, and it was like a movie in the park. So you bring like a blanket, sit oh, down, cool. and have like a picnic. And we were watching Coco, <laughs> and there was this family behind us. It was like it was Dad's night to have the kids. There was like this guy, and he had his three sons with him, and we get halfway through the movie, and we just hear one of these kids just, and he just throws oh, no. his guts up, and. Uh, it was no. he was so sick that they they stopped the movie and everyone just went home. So I've only seen Coco one and a half times, and I hope that <laughs> I hope that poor kid feels better. But <laughs> yeah, get well soon, Coco. I know very different watching Coco experiences. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but that was, I mean, multiple times through the movie. I mean, the the scenes with the grandma at the end, kind of yep. you know she remembers stuff like that. Oh. Yeah, that, that was special. And also, I, I mean, even, it goes without saying with Pixar, but one of the most, like, visually gorgeous movies ever, especially so when, when they're in the, the other world, and it's there's all the papers yeah. everywhere and all the, the leaves and the skeleton design. It's just, it's, I mean, they're masters, right? I mean, yeah, when Pixar gets more free reign, it, they definitely shine, I think, because 
Uh, I'm not exactly sure what their situation is with Disney. Is that is, does Disney half own them? Do they yeah. fully own them? <clears throat> they do. Maybe. Yeah, they they full own for I think it's been a couple years. They had like a eleven film deal in the '90s, and then they made their own stuff, and then I think they got bought out again. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 Pixar is I think up a few tiers higher in the animation in general because. And, you know, there's this whole Pixar universe theory where all the films are connected and stuff. They really know how to play the audience. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think the whole Disney mechanism, right? Like with Marvel, Pixar, I think they have this... They have, like, interconnected stories down to a T. Yeah. Yeah. They do. Well, awesome. This has been been really great, man. Uh, It's been really fun having you on. Um, So, again, your Instagram, Letterboxd Reviews Gone Wild. Uh, The handle is Letterboxd underscore out of context. While we have you here, is there anything else? Do you have like, you know, maybe a SoundCloud or anything you want to point people to to check it, check you out, or is it just the Instagram page? Uh, no, for now it's just the Instagram page. I might, you know, release a, an album. No, I'm not. <laughs> yeah, it's, for now it's the Instagram. It's like I said, like you said, uh, letterbox out of context. Uh, thank you for so much. Uh, thanks so much for you know inviting me. I I've had a really great time. I really have. Yeah. And. It's, I think it's a really great thing you've got going on here. So thank you. Man. I hope, yeah, I, I hope the future treats you well. Thank you, thank you. Yeah, and again, for if if you've made it, what we have twenty twenty one episodes of rotating reels now. If you've made it this far, there's no way that you wouldn't think the stuff on on this Instagram is hilarious. So I, yeah, I, check them out. I can't push people enough to go check out the Instagram. It's it's <laughs> uh, the letterbox out of context. Cool. And uh, rotating reels has a Patreon, guys. Check it out. 